Awesome. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to church this morning. Uh, it's so good to see you all. Uh, I'm going to be opening up our new sermon series today that's called Unnamed. Today's message is simply titled, Great Faith. Great Faith. There is nothing quite like getting recognized for something incredible. That feeling of recognition, that feeling of uh, getting the credit that you deserve, you know, that feeling of accomplishment, that feeling of validation. We see it happening all around us. We have things like player of the game, you know, where after the game, we name the player of the game by calling them by their full name, letting them and everybody else around us know that, yo, you played like a boss today. And so because of that, you are the player of the match. We've got things like award ceremonies. You know, we have things like the Oscar Awards, the Grammy Awards, where we call the actor or the actress by name, artist or songwriter, and we let the whole world know that they've done an amazing job at the arts and have contributed tremendously to music or film. We have things like school prize giving, where we line up and we get ready to hear the proximate kisset or the ducks of our school being announced. We even call up students who have achieved excellences with distinction in, in a particular subject. They're all getting called up for their tremendous achievements. There is nothing quite like getting the recognition that you deserve for the hard work that you put in. It feels good. It feels validating. It feels affirming. But I don't want you to be mistaken, though, because life is more than just recognition. The truth is, to every person who calls himself a believer, a follower of Jesus, you know that we live our lives for something that's so much bigger than just recognition. We live for something bigger than just the Grammy or the Oscar award. We live for something that's bigger than just the promotion at work. We live for something that's bigger than just the accolades. Yeah, we live for purpose and we live to serve, to honor and to glorify God. And the thing is, when your ultimate goal in life is to glorify God, you become okay with not getting the recognition. You become okay that they forgot to mention your quals when they announced your name. You, when your aim in life is that God would be glorified, you become okay with not getting the recognition of man and the applause of man because you could remember my name, remember who I am, what I did and how much I did. But if none of that points you to God, that's okay. I'll gladly go without the credit. You see, I don't want you to give me the recognition, calling me by my full name, acknowledging the work that I've done in the community, the degrees that I've got, the jobs I've worked. If none of that points you to Jesus, then don't state it. Don't even put it in my bio. Don't put it in my eulogy. Don't even mention it because the goal is not to be recognized. We live for something that's bigger than just recognition. The goal is that you would recognize God in my life and in everything that I've done and therefore give glory to God. You see, the truth is, it can be so easy to look at the Bible and then only recognize and give recognition to the men and women whose names are mentioned. It can be so easy to just recognize Esther, who was a great leader in her time. We could just talk about Rahab, who had courage and was brave enough to hide the spies. We could talk about Noah, who built an ark. Moses, who led the people of Israel out of slavery. David, who, who went from shepherd boy to king. It can be so easy to recognize, teach, talk about, and preach only about the heroes whose names are actually mentioned in the Bible. But the problem with that is that it kind of, kind of leaves the rest of us who are not in leadership roles or don't have a passion for leadership kind of feeling like, oh, do we not matter? What about those of us who work with young people in our community and nobody knows your name? What about those of us who are unnamed teachers who day in and day out are investing in the future of our young people? We don't know them by name. What about the nurses and the doctors who serve our people on the daily and yet we don't know who they are? What about the coaches who take the time to nurture and grow the sporting abilities of some of the most greatest athletes of our time? 
What about the people who clean our spaces? You know, we don't necessarily see them, but all we know is that we turn up to work and the place is suddenly all, you know, clean. What about the people who restock the shelves in the supermarket? We shop by day and they stock by night. It can be really easy to only recognize the heroes, the leaders, the warriors, the people whose names are actually mentioned in the Bible. But as we look at God's word, we find that some of the extraordinary stories started with ordinary people whose names are not even mentioned. And each of these unnamed people in the Bible can teach us something that we can apply in our lives and faith today. Come on, let's encourage ourselves with the Word of God. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. I'm reading the New King James Version. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. God bless the reading of his word. You see, in the text, we read the story of a Canaanite woman. We don't know her by name. We don't know her by her family name. We only know that she came from Canaan. She's a woman from Canaan. And in the Bible times, Canaanites were enemies of the people of God. The Canaanites heard about God, but they chose to reject God. The Canaanites were people who were heavily into idolatry. They were an oppressive people. They were a people who carried out pagan practices. They carried out sexual sin. They were big time into fertility cults and child sacrifices. The Canaanites were a people who opposed God. The Canaanites and the Israelites, they didn't really get along well. And the Bible says this woman from Canaan, this woman from a pagan culture, this woman from a world whose ways, methods, ideologies, and practices go against the very customs and beliefs of the people of Israel travels across the border to Jesus, to see Jesus. The very first thing that we can learn from this unnamed woman is this. Number one, great faith is willing to go. Great faith is willing to go. The unnamed woman teaches us that great faith is willing to leave the place of comfort, to leave status quo, to leave the norm, to leave the familiar, jump through cultural barriers to get what you need. Not only is she from a nation who are enemies to the people of Israel, but she's also a woman. It was culturally inappropriate and absolutely dishonorable for a woman to be seen in public with men, especially if it wasn't her man. But this woman is intentionally and publicly seeking after Jesus in order to gain his attention. She didn't just stumble upon Jesus. She stepped out of her comfort zone into unknown spiritual territory towards Jesus. Any parent in their right mind knows not to leave your ill child at home. You would think that this lady's a little bit cray-cray, you know, leaving her sick child at home and traveling out her territory in order to meet a stranger whom she'd never seen in her life and she's only probably heard about. I mean, she hadn't seen him at this point. All she's got is probably the news of the miracles that Jesus had done. She probably only heard that Jesus fed the multitudes of people, probably only heard of Jesus healing people the moment he arrived into the area, but she's willing to step out of her neighborhood, out of her familiar, out of her ordinary. 
You've got to be that desperate to leave your child at home and travel all of that way to get a touch from God. Yeah. You see, oftentimes we put so much emphasis on the weight that we end up acting like the weight was meant to be passive. We quote scriptures like, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, as if the weight was supposed to be something that's stagnant and lifeless. You see the word weight in the Bible, in the Hebrew language, it's this idea of trusting and patiently expecting, but it also means to gather and to strengthen. It is this idea that to wait on the Lord is to position yourself and posture yourself in such a way that communicates your trust in God. It's an active process of asking, of seeking and engaging God. This Canaanite woman is exercising what it means to wait on the Lord, to expect and to hope for Him to come to her aid, so much so that she's positioning herself, moving herself outside of her comfort zone, actively seeking a touch from the Lord. Let me ask you today, how are you living your life? Are you living your life in the comfort zone or are you living your life in the faith zone? And if you ask me today, well, how do I know? You need to simply ask yourself this question. When was the last time I had to trust God for the outcome of something? Whether it was for healing or provision or breakthrough, when was the last time you actually had to trust God for the outcome? And I mean trust God like there was nothing more that you could do but put it into God's hands. If you can't remember the last time you trusted God for something, perhaps that's an indication that you're probably living your life in the comfort zone because faith will take you outside of your comfort zone. The greatest enemy to faith is comfort. And sometimes our breakthrough and our miracle is just around the corner, but we're too infatuated by comfort to even step out. God has invested far too much in you for you to settle for anything less than who you were called to be. You weren't called to just live in comfort. You were called to live by faith. And this is the biggest reason why so many people don't evolve and fail to discover who they were truly called to be. Because in order for you to lay hold of your destiny, you need to be willing to forsake comfort. Oftentimes we see that Jesus is going to the people. Jesus is making his way to the people. But some of the greatest miracles in the Bible we read happen when people make the decision to step out of their comfort, climb through the barriers of religion and culture and make their way down to Jesus. Great faith isn't just believing for change. Great faith isn't just hoping that it will change. Great faith is willing to step out and go. She's not even trying to be cute about it as well. You see, in the world, being cute matters. In the kingdom of God, being cute don't mean a thing. The woman said, I don't care what they call me. I don't care how they look at me. I don't care how they see me. I don't care what they say to me. I'm gonna step out and I'm gonna go. Turn to the person next to you and say, you gotta go. Yeah, look at them and say it like you mean it. You got to go. <laughs> the second thing is this. Great faith is willing to ask. This unnamed woman, she teaches us that great faith is willing to ask. This Canaanite woman comes to Jesus and she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. And the Bible says that Jesus answered her, not a word. What do you do when you've traveled all of that way hoping to find healing for your daughter and Jesus answers, not a word. What do you do when you've called on God in your hour of greatest need and He's answered you? Not a word. What do you do when you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and it seems like God don't seem to be saying nothing back to me? He's answered, not a word. You see, we don't really preach that stuff nowadays because it's uncomfortable. 
And so we'd rather talk about what happens when you get the miracle. We'd rather talk about what happens when the walls come tumbling down and when we've been healed of the leprosy. And we rather talk about what happens when the giants come down. But faith is not proven in the moments of success and victory and triumph. Faith is proven in the valley lows, in the midst of the downtimes, in the moments of silence where you feel like God has answered not a word. God, how could you be a loving God yet answer me not a word? How can you see me in my moment of utmost despair and yet answer me not a word? I was real with you. I was vulnerable with you. I exposed and and shared the deepest, darkest part of my pain. My daughter is demon-possessed, yet you answer me not a word. You see, this Canaanite woman is calling Jesus by his messianic title. She said, son of David, she's being respectful, but he's responded, not a word. She's so humble. She's saying, have mercy on me, but he's responded, not a word. What do you do when it feels like God has answered not a word. And you see, what I love about this text is that the power of the text is not in the silence. The power of the text is in the woman's response to the silence. You see, if you're gonna be easily discouraged by silence, you will never know what it means to have great faith because great faith will ask and it will ask even in the silence. You see, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, just do away with her, give her her miracle and then send her on her way. Jesus responds to the woman and he says, I was not sent except to the house, uh, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This woman came and she worshiped Jesus and she said, Lord, help me. She's teaching us that great faith is willing not to just ask in the silence, but ask even if the answer is no. The woman went as far as to worship Jesus and ask again. Only great faith could do that. Great faith will have have you asking again and again and again. And the thing that makes this woman's faith great is not that she asked for help. It's that she was persistent in her ask. Great faith responds to silence by asking again. Great faith will ask again, even if the answer is no. This morning, I'm talking to people who've allowed the silence to discourage you and stop you. I came to remind you this morning, Isaiah 59, one says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Luke 11, 19 says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, the one who seeks finds, who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He is the Lord God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for our God? In the silence, ask. And then ask again and again and again. Great faith is persistent in asking. See, what I love about the story is that the woman is asking, but did you notice that she's referring to Jesus not once, but twice as Lord? In the previous chapters and verses, you'll read that the Pharisees and the Jewish people who are continuing to challenge Jesus, they only ever call him teacher and rabbi. And so while the Pharisees and the teachers are rejecting Jesus and calling him a phony and a fake, here is this Canaanite woman who was from a place that is Israel's ancient enemy, yet she's calling Jesus Lord. The disciples are trying to get her a miracle and then send her on her way. But this Canaanite woman grasps something that the disciples themselves can't even understand. The reason she's persistent in her ask is because she's confident that Jesus is able to meet her request. Great faith will have you asking not because his response is dependent on how many times you ask. Great faith will have you asking because you are confident that he can do it. 
This woman has caught a revelation of who Jesus is and she's made it up in her mind that because of who he is, her request is not impossible for him. God sometimes won't tell us what he's going to do, but rather reveal to us who he is so that in him, we might have the confidence to know what he's going to do, that he's going to do what he's going to do whenever, wherever, however he wants to do it. And so here's what we ought to do. Ask, ask in the silence, ask over and over and over again and ask in confidence, ask with confidence knowing that nothing is too hard for God. Number three, this unnamed woman teaches us great faith is okay with small. Great faith is okay with the small. So this woman, she comes to Jesus. She tells Jesus her problem. Jesus answers her, not a word. And now the disciples are trying to hurry her along and send her away. But Jesus says to the woman, I was not sent except to the house, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is letting her know that his commission was to the people of Israel first. Here's what one scholar of the Bible, how he explains it. Jesus comes as a suffering servant to save all Israel. Jesus must first go to Israel in fulfillment of the promises made to the nation so that the Gentiles themselves will glorify God for his promises made to his people. And so Jesus is letting the lady know that this responsibility was his responsibility was to his own first. But this lady comes over, she worships him and she says, Lord, help me. She says, Jesus, yes, I know I'm not your first responsibility. I know I'm not on your schedule right now. I know I don't have an appointment with you right now. I know that you've got to deal with your own first and that's okay because while you take care of them, I'll sit here, I'll wait and I'll worship. You know a real worshiper when they're able to worship God while all hell is breaking loose in their, in their home. Because anybody can worship when things are going good, fantastic and going great. But it takes a real worshiper to have things turning to custard in your world and you are still able to lift your hands and say, God, you're so good. You gotta be a real worshiper to be clapping your hands talking about though he slay me, yet shall I trust him when your loved one is in the hospital bed. You have to be a real worshiper to lift your hands and say, I will bless the Lord at all times when you've lost your job, you've got no money in the bank and the rent payment is due next week. This woman comes to Jesus. She worships him and she says, Lord, help me. Jesus responds and he says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, when we read this, it can be pretty easy to be like, whoa, Jesus, hold on, wait a minute. That's a bit overboard, eh? We can be like, Jesus, what did you just call her Jesus? But one biblical scholar of the word put it this way. Jesus isn't trying to call her out her name. Jesus is testing her faith by painting a picture. You see, the Greek word for the little dogs in the text is actually our English word for the, uh, pu puppies. And so what Jesus is saying is that no one is going to take the food while the children are eating and then give it to the little puppies in the house. He's saying, whilst that might, you know, seem cute, no parent in their right mind is going to just snatch the whole meal off the child and then give it to the little puppies. It wouldn't make any sense. And so Jesus is trying to help this woman understand that because his first responsibility was to his own, she needed to let the children of Israel eat first. He needed to minister to the people of Israel first before tending to everybody else. Now I'm just going to say, if that was anybody else, if that lady was Samoan, I bet she would have been up in his business saying, what did you just call me? Yo, Jesus, what? That response from Jesus was enough to end the conversation. But this unnamed woman responds to Jesus and she says, yes, Lord, even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. This lady is speaking about a custom that Jesus is fully aware of. 
You know, in the Bible times, masters would have puppies that would get under the master's table and they would eat the crumbs that would fall off the table. And so the puppies would position themselves and they would wait patiently for something because at any moment, something was bound to fall from the table that they could get in on. And so she said, yes, Lord, even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This woman is teaching us that great faith is okay with the breadcrumbs. Great faith is willing to settle for the small. Great faith is willing to be okay with the little. That kind of attitude right there speaks to her perspective. She's sounding like a woman who knows that great things come packaged and uh, come in small packages. She's sounding like a woman who knows that this is just a stepping stone to her destiny. She's traveled half her way around the hood. She's left her sick daughter at home. She's going to see a stranger she's not met before. She's only heard that he heals. She's willing to step out of her comfort zone. She prepared to climb over tradition, cultural barriers, all for breadcrumbs. Oh, I wish I had someone up in here who knew where I was going with that. Jesus, I know that you didn't have me in mind when you prepared this bread. I don't have a seat at the table. I know that my name is not, not on the seating chart. I know that your first responsibility is to your own, but you can go on ahead and feed the children. I'll sit here and I'll wait. Actually, I'm gonna position myself because at any moment, I'm gonna catch anything that will fall from the master's table. I'm not even asking you for a whole spoonful or a plateful or a potful. No, Jesus, I'm okay with the breadcrumbs. I'm talking to the people this morning who are willing to get up close enough, who don't mind taking a lesser status, a lesser position, a blessing that looks smaller to everybody else's. I'm talking to people who don't mind just hanging around till something falls your way. I'm fine. I'll wait here. I'm going to position myself. I'll keep showing up here till something falls my way. I'll keep getting close until something gets uh, falls my way. I'll stay in the Word until something falls my way. I'll keep turning up to church until something falls my way. I'll stay in prayer until breakthrough falls my way. I'll keep working my heart out, even if they don't see me, until promotion falls my way. It could be a breadcrumb. It could be a splatter. Lord, I'll take it. Faith becomes okay with the breadcrumbs because it realizes that whatever's in the bread, you'll find it in the breadcrumb. A scholar of the word said that whatever's in the bread is going to be in the breadcrumb. If these Baking powder in the bread, it's in the breadcrumb. If there's sugar in the bread, it's in the breadcrumb. If there's healing in the bread, it's in the breadcrumb. If there's joy in the bread, it's in the breadcrumb. In other words, the lady is not asking Jesus to, Jesus to do the works. Jesus, it doesn't even have to be a whole loaf of bread. It doesn't even have to be a whole slice of bread either. This woman has got so much faith in Jesus that she's willing to travel all that way for a breadcrumb. It don't have to be much. But just one touch from you is all that I need. Doesn't have to be much, but just one word from you is all that I need. It doesn't have to be much, but just a breadcrumb from the master's table is enough to deliver me and mine. She's demonstrating a complete absence of pride, self-reliance, and self-righteousness. She was willing to settle for the breadcrumbs which fall from the master's table because that would be enough to meet her need. A tiny leftover of Jesus' great power could heal her daughter, and that's all she's asking for. If I can ask the keys to join me. And the truth is, it takes a special kind of a person to be okay with just a little bit. It takes humility, it takes utmost humbleness to say, Lord, I know I've got no covenant with you. Lord, I know I'm not supposed to be here, but I've got a hunger and I've got a desire to be healed. And so I'm positioning myself to catch anything from your table today. And so if you're here today, and you're facing a crisis in your life, much like this Canaanite woman, can I encourage you? 
You don't need a seat at the table in order to be satisfied. You don't need a name badge on the table in order for you to be filled. All you need is a hunger and a desire to be fed and faith that's willing to step up and step out of comfort zone and get yourself to the table and position yourself so that at any moment, if something was to drop off of the master's table, I'd be able to catch it. But the question is, how desperate are you? You know, at the very end of the story, Jesus responds to this woman and he says, woman, great is your faith. Her faith, not her feelings, not her emotions, not her attitude, not her beauty, not her intellect. He said, faith, great is your faith. And at that moment, when Jesus spoke the word, her daughter was healed. You need to know today that great faith is not bound by difficult circumstance. It is not bound by silence. It's not bound by how small the blessing appears to be. You see, just like the story of this Canaanite woman, my prayer is that we would be a people who are willing to step out of our comfort zone, who are willing to ask persistently, who are okay with the small? Because Jesus looks at that. He looks at that kind of an attitude. He looks at that kind of a posture. And he says, ooh, woman, ooh, man, great is your faith. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Here at Elam, we never like to close a service without giving you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I don't know what it means to give my heart to Jesus. I don't know what it means to uh, make Jesus the Lord of my life. And I want to give you that opportunity Today. And what I love about the story that we've just heard today is that as this woman was taking a step to Jesus, Jesus himself was taking a step towards this woman. And today, I truly believe that Jesus is taking a step closer to you as you step to him. You need to know today, God created you. God loves you. He created you on purpose and he created you for a purpose. He created you to enjoy loving fellowship and relationship with him. But the Bible talks about this thing that keeps us disconnected from God. It's become a barrier between us and God. That thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. But also the Bible says that the wages of that sin is death. But my friend, it didn't end there because God in His grace sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay that penalty for our sins. And so when Jesus died on the cross, He took on Himself what you and I deserved. But you see, it didn't end there either because on the third day, Jesus rose again. And when he rose to life, he defeated sin, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And so you know what? Today, God is extending to you his grace. God is extending to you forgiveness for your past. God is extending to you a new life right now, a new beginning right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with him in heaven. But you see, we must repent. And repent means to turn away from sin. Turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. The Bible says, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but they're going to have everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, yes, count me in. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to make him the Lord of my life. If that's you, I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand and then you can put it down straight away. And you know what? You've got no reason to be shy or afraid up in here. Nobody in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who've been saved 
by grace. But we want you to know that we're right here with you and we've got your back. So if that's you and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I'm going to count to three and you can raise your hand and put it back down again. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, bro. Thank you, sis. I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand in the back. There's one more thing I want you to do. I want you to repeat this prayer after me, but I really need you to understand this. This prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you, but this prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith and your hope in Jesus. So let's pray. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. I choose to turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.